This is Repmo Radio. Welcome to another episode of Repmo Radio, where we interview people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love. If you or someone you know has an interesting job, hobby, or a story to tell, reach out to me on Facebook or send an email to jake at repmoradio.com. On this episode, we talk to longtime Republic resident Jeff Ussery. Jeff and I talk about growing up in Republic, his career in law enforcement, working at Silver Dollar City, and of course, what it was like to be mayor. And now let's jump into our conversation with Jeff Ussery. Okay, you've lived here your entire life. Yeah, my mom actually moved here when I was uh, two. No kidding. Yeah, been here ever since. Okay, and so that would have been which decade? That not, I'm not trying been, to age you like yeah, right off the bat here. I appreciate but. that. That would have been 1981. Okay, wow. So, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people are like, man, I've really seen this town grow. Boy, you really have seen yeah. this town grow. Yeah, I, I've seen it not grow, and then I've seen it grow. I've always loved Republic. I love the fact that I can walk into... Any grocery store, you know, Walmart, Price Cutter, any restaurant, and uh, see any number of people that I've known for years. And also, I don't think I would have had the lifelong friendships that, and those aren't just people that are your friends. Those are people that are there for you and that would drop everything they're doing to come help you. And that's, you can really only forge that over a 40-year relationship. So are there a lot of people that you grew up with that are also still here? I mean, how common? I, I didn't come to Republic until 2009, and I grew up in a different state. So is that is that really common throughout our city that people are born, raised, and, and remain? Yeah, there's a lot of, actually a lot of people here that started here. You know, I can think of several that I went to kindergarten with and graduated high school with, and they're still here, you know, and, and it's example is Mike Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar with him at Better Homes and Gardens, Southwest Real Estate. He's one of the owners. Uh, He's been here all of his life as well. And we went to school all the way through school together, played football together. I mean, yeah, it's just there are a lot of people here that I've known forever. And no plans to change that, I assume? Uh, Not on my end, no. Not on your end? Okay, so uh, let's talk about your family. Where did you meet your wife? (laughs) I met her at work. Uh, I was a Greene County deputy, as you know. And, uh, she got hired at Greene County probably a year or so after I did, and we just hit it off. You know, it was, uh, I wasn't her boss or anything, so it wasn't weird, and she wasn't mine, but uh, we met at the county. We both had daughters that were nearly the same age. I think there was a year separating them. Uh, well, there was. There still is. Um, and that's how, really, we met and started hanging out, and before you knew it, we I think we dated for about two and a half, three years before we got married, and we were engaged for probably over a year, but that's how we met, Green County. What kind of jobs did you do before you got into law enforcement? So I start, my first job, I would say, was hauling hay. Uh, that was really a big thing, you know, in my teenage years around here. A lot of people, a lot of farmers had square bales. You know, now they have round bales, or if they have a square bale, it's probably one ton. But back then, you know, you had small square bales. And I worked for some friends that kind of had a, a little 
uh, hay hauling business on the side. And, you know, it would never fail. I don't know if you've ever hauled hay, but it's a hot, dirty, physically taxing job, you know, especially when it's 115 degrees outside or the heat index. And no matter what, they would always tell us, you guys got time to go help us haul hay? There's only 500 bales. It will be done in no time. And then you get out there and there's 1,200 bales. And you're there until well after dark. But that was my first job, uh, if you call that a job. I enjoyed doing it. It kept me in shape for football and uh, got to spend a lot of time with friends. Uh, And then I went to work at, at 15, actually. There was a program at the Republic High School called COE. And you could work for a certain part of your school day. And for the last two hours of school, I would go to Price Cutter and work. So I started there as a carryout. Uh, then I worked through and became a, a cashier and a front-end manager. And then what they called at the time a junior key carrier. And then I became a manager. And then I ended up uh, years later in the corporate office in loss prevention. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so playing football, working your way up. Uh, at price cutter getting into loss prevention and so you you bridge from loss prevention at price cutter into law enforcement yeah actually i was a cadet at republic pd and that started back when i believe i'm gonna get this mixed up i think i was 17 years old i became a cadet uh, so i really knew i wanted to do that anyway and i couldn't become an officer until i was 21 So the loss prevention, I I was working my way through that. It was giving me some experience in interviewing people and uh, just dealing with folks who had committed crimes with stealing, whether it be money or product. And then uh, while I was working at Price Cutter, I was going to school at Drury. So I got through that, and then I had already been a cadet at Republic. The chief of police at the time was a guy named Sam Hartzell. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Was he the one he had... There was a, a chief of police who'd been chief for like long, like since the seventies. Yeah, that's probably yeah, yeah. That'd be him. Yeah, I've met him once. Okay, so yeah. he was the chief. <clears throat> he was nice enough to give me a reserve civilian jailer position. Okay. So when I got to the age where I was too old to be a cadet, but I was still in school, he kept me on, and the the reason he did that was because it made it easier for me to transfer from one spot to the other. Because we all knew I wanted to be a cop. Yeah, you kind of already in the system. Yeah. So the night I graduated the academy, actually, I came out and uh, worked a shift with Brian Sells. That is awesome. Okay. So, I mean, it was, so this doesn't, some people kind of like, you know, have this like life-defining event or they kind of fall into it, but you seemed like you knew at a young age that this this is what you want to do. Yeah. I don't know that I would say I had a life-defining event. You know, I had... My childhood was, I wouldn't say it was horrible by any stretch of the imagination. My parents divorced when I was about two. That's about the time my mom moved down here. And my dad has passed away, so I don't want to speak ill of my father. But he was fairly physically abusive uh, and to an extreme with me for whatever reason. So uh, I think as a kid growing up, I just thought, you know, I didn't really realize it until I got into the job but probably that I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen to anyone else or that I could do my part to try to make sure that no one else, you know, got beat up by an adult. So, uh, and again, I don't, I'm not speaking ill of my father. It's just, sure. It is what it is. Sure. I had my, my oldest brother died in a horrible accident. My father witnessed it. And I think that was probably a turning point for him and not to make excuses for him, but probably, you know, changed his mental capacity and 
unfortunately, he seemed to take that out on me. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, it seems like a lot of cops that I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of cops, there there is a similar thread of kind of a, a troubled relationship, uh, paternal relationships, that seem to somehow manifest themselves in this need to want to save others because, you know, they were in situations as a child where they were scared and wished that somebody could have saved them, you know? So I I noticed that that's kind of a reoccurring theme and so many uh, law enforcement officers have really strained relationships with their family. Yeah, and sometimes the strange relationship (laughs) comes after you've been a cop for a while. Sure, yeah. uh, Because it... It, it absolutely changes your outlook, your mindset, and how you see the world. Um, you know, I, I always used to think that I was seeing the real world, unfortunately. that But I did that so other people didn't have to. You know, I did it for 16 years, and I, I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't enjoy it, especially for that long. It wasn't just because I wanted to drive cars fast and carry a gun. Although there is some Although of that, there too. is that. There is that. But... I really did enjoy the job, and I again, I would, I would take it back to my childhood, and probably just wanting to make sure that if I could do something to keep a kid from having to go through that, then that would be a big deal. So you start at uh, Republic essentially the day that you can, uh, and you were at Republic for how long? Uh, I was at Republic from two thousand one until two thousand five. Okay, I and I saw you For around six. the time that the tax question was up, make a post about how you you had wanted to stay there. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I there's something again. I since I grew up here, it was really nice. I could drive through town and I knew what lights were supposed to be on and which ones weren't supposed to be on. I knew the people. I knew you know if someone was out and they were in a specific area. If if so and so had a you know a an ex parte on so and so. I knew those folks, and then if I knew they were around each other, so I felt like that gave me a leg up in being able to do my job and just having the familiarity with the the community. I would have loved to have stayed here, but uh, there were other opportunities, and this city wasn't providing those, and it didn't look like they were ever going to. So I left. Yeah, sure. It it seems like you could have kind of licked your finger and stuck it up in the wind and went, wait a second. Something's wrong in town tonight. <laughs> yeah. I better go to the yeah. far east side and check yeah. on Mrs. Smith. Just drive around with my windows down <laughs> and just, just smell it. Checking right? the wind. Yeah. yeah. Like something's something's fishy in Republic tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so you go to Greene County and have a pretty long career there. Uh meet your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you enjoyed your time at Greene County? I did. I got to work. I started off in patrol and it wasn't a not the jail. No, I did not start in the jail. I went That's good. I went to patrol. Good for you. Uh, I worked in a patrol squad for about seven months, six, seven months, and then I went to a proactive squad. There were really only two of us. Uh, it was called the 40 squad, and we really just went out and looked for bad guys. We didn't take calls for service, really, unless it's busy. If we were having stolen vehicles in a specific location, that's where we would go work, and we would get in a ton of pursuits. I worked with a guy named Jeremy Lynn uh, in that squad. He's today the patrol captain at Greene County. And we just really went out and found bad guys and girls and made sure that they stopped doing the things that they were doing. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's what every cop kind of wants to do, right? They, inst- they Instead of being kind of slaves to the radio, uh, they want to go out and they want, they want to hunt. Yeah. Well, and 
for me, it's that's just it, what you want to do. And I wanted to do a lot of things. Oh, uh, yeah. So I went from there to uh, detective the detective division. When I started out there, I worked property crimes. You know, that's really mostly what you work. Uh, I started working into some other things, and those were, uh, you know, just a mixed bag of other kinds of crimes. Uh, I was, I would get, you know, Randy Gibson, who was the, the detective captain at the time, uh, he would, we would get an odd case and sometimes he would just shove it to me and say, here, you know, go figure this out. The best one I ever worked as a detective though, that was so, it's actually humorous is I found a rock for the sheriff and okay. <laughs> I feel like there's more to this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there were these folks, and I don't know how it came about, but it ended up in the sheriff's office. Uh, I think he was the chief deputy at the time, the uh, sheriff Arnott. And I don't know how it ended up with him. Somebody was complaining, but a large, a gigantic landscaping rock was taken out of someone's yard. I mean, and I'm we're talking like the size of a car. And I remember getting assigned this case and thinking, you really want me to find a rock? I mean, where, where do you start? <laughs> right, right. So, uh, I, I started and I went out there and as I'm talking to the, the folks that live there, I noticed the tracks on the concrete from a piece of machinery. So I noticed how far the road they went down to and I just walked and walked and walked and I kept walking for about block and a half until the track stopped and turned and I look over and this yard has been freshly landscaped. But the rock's not there. So I went up and knocked on their door and said, did you have some work done? And they said, well, we sure did. They just left about, you know, four or five hours ago, I got the information, tracked it back to a couple more houses. I just kept following it from place to location to location until I found the rock in somebody's yard that they were doing landscaping in and wow. <laughs> recovered a rock. No serial number or anything. Well, right. <laughs> and it, there's been a, a wide array of other cases, you know, that I've worked. That's just one of the funny ones to right, me. Right, sure. But I, I went from detectives into narcotics and I worked undercover for about three years. Uh, not all undercover, but, you know, I had the opportunity to work undercover. Like uh, long hair, scraggly beard, that kind of undercover? Yeah, I had a scraggly beard. Uh, I, I actually had a mohawk at the time, not a not long hair. I never could do long hair. So the if it touches my ears, it bothers me. So I had a mohawk. My wife was just thrilled about that. I bet. And uh, I, I did that for three years, and then I went back to patrol. Uh, I, I was a sergeant in detectives. I took a voluntary demotion because I really wanted to go back to patrol. Wow, okay. To corporal. And then within six or seven months, I was promoted back to sergeant on patrol. When there was an opening. Yep. Sure. So I did. I worked overnight as a sergeant, and then I went to evenings as a sergeant when that opened up, and then took on the job I have now. So before we get into that, um, why don't you tell me about your family? I'd love to know about your kids and sure. your wife and kind of and that whole thing, what you guys are all into. Sure. So Kathy is my wife. Um, she's from South Florida, from Fort Lauderdale. So this is not her home. So it is now. But, you know, when I would say that's what's funny about that is I have these sayings, you know, that you probably hear from everyone in the Ozarks. Um, probably some of them not appropriate for a podcast. But I'd and she would say, where do you get that? That makes no sense to me. And, you know, like if you're if if you're in tall cotton, you know, that, that yeah. you know. That, that means you're doing well. And she was like, that, I don't get that a bit. Or you have a hitch in your get-along. Uh, she never understood any of those. So that that's fun with Kathy that uh, our cultures tend to collide at times. I have four kids. Uh, Jadra and Paige are the two oldest, 21 and 20. Or I'm sorry, both of them are 20 at this point. Jadra will be 21 here soon. 
Um, they have both moved out. They both have their own apartments. They're doing great. Uh, Jadria was a cheerleader at Drury. She's gotten numerous scholarships. My daughter Paige is just working her tail off and making a life for herself and doing really well. And then we have two younger ones, Juliana, who's 11, and Jace, who is 6. And uh, so it's kind of a little bit like raising your grandkids. That's what it feels like. I, I go to their games, and I don't see anybody there that I went to high school with because all of their kids are in high school. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it feels like raising your, your grandkids. So if you had a, a free night and I handed you $100, where would you and your wife go on a date? Ooh, $100 now. Let's see. All right, make it two. Make it two. <laughs> Let's adjust for inflation over the yeah. past couple months, and I'll make it two. Um, likely Ocean's Inn. Mm, okay. My wife's a foodie. She went to culinary school. Uh, Lacour- I think it's Le Cordon Bleu in Miami. I bet you eat good. Yeah, if you can't tell. Um, she is a foodie. She, We kind of started a business a little bit, started it going, and then there were some some issues with a food trailer. I don't know. Uh, we were going to, we had a business started called Cashew Mafia. I love cashew chicken. I love general chicken. I love sweet and sour chicken. And Kathy has never made it. My wife does not like cashew chicken. Her dad owns a Chinese restaurant in Springfield called China Star. And she's never had cashew she's chicken. She's had it. She doesn't like it. Okay, okay. So she's never made it for me. And there was a night where she just said, okay, I'm just, I'm going to make cashew chicken. And she made it, and it was amazing. I mean, it was, she made three sauces, and then we started tinkering around with it. And uh, before long, we started to, we thought, let's try this out and see how it goes. So we did a friends and family offer, because we were doing it out of our house, so we weren't going to sell to the general public. And it grew and became a monster. So we decided we would go to a location, so we were renting a PKD. Yes, so we were using their kitchen because it was health department inspected and ready to go. And that became a monster within months. Within like two months, we went from, you know, 10 or 15 orders a week to now doing 100. And not only that, my wife would put it on our page, opening it up for orders. And within five minutes, we're sold out on 100 orders. So we decided we were going to do that and then get a food trailer. Uh, unfortunately, in Greene County, and it may be like this in other counties, if you're going to have fryers in a food trailer, you have to have an Ansel system, which will put out a fire, and that's just really expensive. So we just tapped the brakes on that, and we know we got a good model, and it'll be ready when we decide to do it. Okay, so it's a win, not an if. It I is, heard win. It is a win. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like yet, but we're not. We've not walked away from it in any way, shape, or form. Okay, I'm excited. Let hey, let me know. And if you decide to start up the Cashew Mafia again, you tell me. I'm going to have you back on. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Cashew Chicken. Sounds good. That's cool. All right. Uh, So, sounds like you have a happy family life. Uh, You are working at Greene County. And your career's chugging along. Why make the move? Because you work at Silver Dollar City now, by the way. I should probably state that plainly that uh, now you work at SDC. Yeah. So, I had no interest in leaving. I loved my job. Being in a patrol sergeant at Greene County to me is the best job there is. It, you get to go all over the county, go to all the great calls. Uh, just you get to have fun and you get paid for it. So I came home one night and Kathy was still awake and she's like, hey, I found this job online. I thought you should look at it. So I looked at it and it was for a security manager for Silver Dollar City. 
And I looked at it and I told her my exact words to her were, well, they're going to hire some retired police chief. So that was pretty much, that was it. And I looked at it and, you know, it was a little interesting, but not enough to budge me from what I was doing. So, uh, I didn't apply. And then about a week later, if that Kathy says, so did you look at that job? And you know, like this is the prodding from your wife where now you should say, okay, okay. So I really did apply to appease her and, uh, I got called for an interview. So I went down and interviewed and I went through two months of interviews. And, uh, the more I went, the more I thought, I think I might actually want to work here. And it just worked out after two months of interviews and I'd given up all hope that I was going to work there. Uh, they called me and offered me a job and I said, yes. Wow. That's crazy. You didn't even, you're like, I don't even know, really want this thing. I had no want. Did you tell them that you're like, I just, I'm here to piece my wife. (laughs) No, I actually, the, the guy I'm in his position now, but the guy who interviewed me then for that job, um, I did tell him that, you know, I'm not running away from anything. So I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy at Greene County. And I said, I don't want to say that to hurt myself, but I want you to know I'm not trying to get away from somewhere. I'm looking for something. Yeah, better. that's always tr- troubling uh, during a job interview is when the the applicant is like, it's more to do with them hating where they're at than wanting to come and join your yeah. team. Yeah, like, how, how soon can you hire me? You know, Right, that, yeah. That was sure, not sure. the case. Sure. Okay, so you get on at SDC. What year is this? 2015 okay so 2015 you get on at sdc so walk me through like a day at work what like what is that what does that entail do you guys uh for your security team do you use the stone county deputies or how does that work so we do have stone county deputies there at the entrance but we also have uh, our own commissioned police officers and then um it's really just maintaining the security and safety of the park you know overall it's about a number of different things. Some of the things probably aren't appropriate to talk about, uh, sure. you know, on a podcast for the world to hear. But uh, really, that's that's what it boils down to is just maintaining the safety and security of the park. And I I did the security manager role for about four years and then moved moved on. You know, I've always thought, uh, of course, I've never peeked behind the curtain, but. I love going to Silver Dollar City. I do. We get season passes every year. I love going. I love the environment. Uh, you know, my daughter's been raised on Silver Dollar City, and I have always in my mind, and I've, my wife has, she said it before I could even say it out loud, that it's like, when I retire, I'm getting a job down here. Like, I don't know what, it, either driving the tram and, you know, telling <laughs> telling stupid jokes, yeah. you know, the same dumb joke a hundred times a day on the tram, or, you know, robbing the train or whatever. I even if it's even if it's just switching the, the levers on one of the roller coasters and stuff and or the guy who has to the one guy I feel really bad for at SDC, I will say this. The one job that I would probably not apply for is the dude who runs the swings, like over in the kids area. Because he stay seated, stay buckled, stay seated, stay buckled, stay seated, stay <laughs> yeah. buckled, yeah. stay seated. And I'm like, this poor guy has got to have that phrase running in his head every night, all night long, because he has to say it a gazillion times. Yeah. That's that's the only guy I feel really bad for. But, but it's an important job. It's I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to do no, it. No, and I get it. And that the company is just it's amazing to work with. I know, for. and that's it does it really does seem like uh, from people I've talked to, I've talked to that dude. Um, 
I, you'll know who I'm talking about. Super tall guy. He always plays the... Oh, Shorty Hatfield. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I've talked to him just at the park. You know, so he has no idea who I am. And every time I meet him, it's it's brand new because he yeah. talks to thousands of people all the time. Um, but I mean, just like getting a sense from him and a few other people that I've talked to, it it you really don't get the sense that that they're just ha- have this like fake kind of thing. You know, like it seems like it really is a good environment to work in. Yeah. It honestly the environment there is a fairy tale it's just something you hear about you think it exists the way they treat their employees but that is it's real and it's there and it's really because you know i can't i'm not representing the company by the way i'm just telling you my yeah oh sure sure but uh you know jack and pete hirsch and and hugo and mary their parents who started it they set a culture and they expect that culture to be followed and passed on from generation to generation and that's just how you treat each other and it's just an amazing company to work for because of, of how well they treat everyone. Everyone that works there, they just they treat them really well. How's that commute? Uh, it's actually nice. You get as I've moved on into different you know different roles in the company. It's nice on the way. A lot of times I have you know forty five to fifty minutes to think about you know develop a checklist. These are the things I need to do today. Even though that usually gets blown out of the water pretty quickly. As soon as you get there. It's it's nice to have that, and then on the way home, it's nice to get work out of your head and to think about the things that you need to be doing when you get home, whether it's a soccer practice or football practice or a game, and get your attention devoted and focused back on your family. So, did COVID hit you guys pretty hard? Yeah, was that was that hard. Was that hard for you and your role? Uh, very. It was very very difficult because um, my boss. I, so I started as the security manager. And then he retired, the security, safety and security director. And then I became the safety and security director. And uh, right before COVID. <laughs> so, you know, we were, it's a corporation. It's not just Silver Dollar City and the Branson properties. We have properties across the country. Um, so just working through the processes and what seemed to be never-ending confusion on all fronts throughout the government and the, the scientific community because nobody knew what we were facing and just trying to navigate those waters in any role for that matter. You know, being the mayor at that, that time too was, it was all just, it was a, a very difficult time. What's one thing that people like wouldn't know or like one of the most under underappreciated parts of the park? I think probably over by the Wilderness Church. They have a uh, set of dogwood trees that they plant when someone I believe has 50 years of service. And there are a set of dogwood trees over there. And then there's, you know, Bertle's Cabin, which is an old cabin that was brought to the property that was actually lived in by someone in the Ozark Mountains. Um, There's just little things like that that if you go explore the park, you'll find really interesting things that it isn't a ride, but there's something over here, you know, that's maybe not as shiny. But if you like history, as soon as you walk onto the square, take a left and go down past the apple butter and there's things over there that you'll the homestead area that you'd love that's really interesting and i have noticed that every time i've gone to the park if i've put my mind to not you know going on autopilot to the places where i usually go that even just some of the shops i'm like i don't think i've ever been in this shop or i'll be in a corner of the park and i'm like am i even supposed to be here (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) you might just got hired right uh okay so let's talk about you being the mayor how you're working at Silver Dollar City? Uh, how did that come about? Is, was this something that 
you just woke up one day and you're like, hey, this sounds like it might be neat. Or, I mean, how, how did that whole thing come about? So, <laughs> no, I didn't think it would be neat for sure. Uh, and I was right. It, it was great. I mean, I enjoyed doing it. The, the way it came about is when I got into a, a private corporation and started working and working through budgeting and, you know, just everything that has to do with that, I started paying a whole lot more attention to how that was working at the City of Republic. Makes sense. Because I'm, I'm a stakeholder. I, here, I've been here my entire life, and, you know, I love the city. And the more meetings I went to, I started, you know, doing what a lot of people probably would never want to do, and that's diving into the budget and reading it and looking at where money was being spent. And when I had a question about why, finding out why was this being spent for this, and I started getting frustrated. And uh, I've I've always known that, you, you know, it makes no sense to get frustrated and upset unless you're willing to do something about it. So I decided to put my name on the ballot <laughs> and run for mayor. And What did your wife have to say when you're like, uh, I think I might run for mayor? She was all about it. She said, uh, you know, she, she would support me. I don't think she liked it a whole lot, but she she supported me, you know, 100% through the process and obviously helped me in any way that she could. You put your name in for mayor. You become the mayor. What What is it like to be the mayor of Republic? Well, I guess it depends on why you're why you're the mayor of Republic. So, I mean, so. as the mayor, can you pretty much pit? You're like, well, I'm the mayor, and I can either do or not do whatever I want, or do you have like a signed, you know, other than council meetings and stuff? Like, is there stuff that you have to do, or can you just kind of make it what you want it to be? You get an opportunity to make it what you want it to be. I mean, I think you have in any of those positions what I would call the bully pulpit. Uh, what you've heard that before, I'm sure. Sure. You can get your point across and you could sway people and uh, have influence on how things happen. But having never been involved in government before, um, my thought was and my job was that I'm just an extension of the people who live here. There were times that I didn't necessarily like something, but I knew that almost everyone that had spoken to me about it did. So that's the route I was going to take because it wasn't about what I wanted. It was about what the people I worked for wanted. And that's what's been missing for years in every aspect of the government. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to make a career out of it. I knew it was going to be short-lived for me. I wanted to make some changes. I wanted the city to grow again. I wanted to get... Uh, I never wanted to get anybody out of city government. I just wanted to get a certain way of thinking out of city government because it was just strangling the growth on this city. If you look at the ordinances, government's first and always their go-to is if something's not like they like it, let's make an ordinance or a law. And you look at the way the the uh, way builders and developers looked at the city of Republic, and it was not good. And that's because we had all these hoops for them to jump through. Some of them were necessary. Some of them were not. Not only that, you had to go to four different places on Main Street to get anything done, built, or developed. That's now in one place. You go inside, and everybody that has any stake in building development is in one location. Uh, Ordinances that affected the city. I think we repealed probably 50 ordinances in my time there. Wow. And just an example, one of them is the overlay district on Highway 16, Highway 174, which said you had to have a significantly stone or brick facade if you were going to build on Highway 60 or parts of 174. Um, to me, that was silly because I'm telling you, if you've got $2 million to buy a piece of property and put a building or $3 million or whatever on Highway 60, you're probably not going to put up a portable building. So 
let the market drive the market and get government out of the way. And it wasn't about me. It was about the people who worked here, like David Cameron, the city administrator, uh, all of the department heads at the city of Republic that made all that work. My job was to try to facilitate the meetings, listen to the people who worked here or lived here. And you don't, you're not an extension of the city. You're an extension of the citizenry. Because that's where you came from, and that's where you're going to go back to. Right, sure, and and that's the point of council and the mayor is to be the voice of the citizens. Should what, be. What? Um, why? Why go straight to mayor as opposed to council first? Uh, that's just where I was led. I I couldn't tell you that it was. I I think that one of my gifts is being a facilitator, and you know, being you know, being able to direct things in the right path. Being able to get a take a meeting that's really gone off the rails and focus it back to where it needs to be, and I think I got that from being a detective and interviewing people. Yeah, okay. Because if you're interviewing a, a suspect and they're guilty, they're going to want to take you off down rabbit trails, rabbit holes, and your job is to you can listen to that, and you might even glean something out of it, but you've got to have in the back of your mind that well, I can't keep going down here. Eventually, I've got to get them back on track to where I need this to go, and I think that that was a gift I had. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's Picasso or somebody. There's a saying that uh, your purpose in life is to find your gift and your meaning in life is to give it away. And that's just where I felt a lot of my law enforcement experience, oddly enough, led me to the ability to be the mayor and be successful at it. Yeah, that makes total sense. How did you come to the decision to have to step down for mayor? Well, it had been, you know, with everything that had gone on with COVID, uh, with work, I had gotten promoted and at work, and it was taking a lot more of my time. I took on more of a role corporately with security at all the properties across the country, um, which takes up a lot more time and a lot more travel. And then uh, just my family time, you know, with being the mayor, my new role with the company, and then trying to, and COVID, and then trying to see my family. I was already kind of on the fence that maybe I should resign because that's a part-time job. It pays $400 a month. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to pay your bills. So uh, my career had to come before that, but my family had to come before both. And we had gotten a chance to go to the lake. And uh, I had, like I said, I'd already kind of been teetering on whether or not I should continue doing it because of the time it was taking. And uh, my son, you know, throughout that whole time we were at the lake, I'm getting either calls from work or calls from the city. And I'm going to tell you just real quick, one of the worst things about growing up here and then becoming the mayor is that people don't go through normal channels. If they Everybody's have a got your number. Everybody's got my number. They know how to get a hold of me, even if they don't have my number. So all of the problems, if you can imagine 20,000 population and a lot of the problems are coming directly to you. So, and I'm not going to tell people don't call me because that's why I did it. Yeah. You're a public servant. Yeah. Yeah. So that was happening all that weekend with my family. And, you know, I picked my son up to put him in the Jeep and he, I sat him in there, buckled him in and he looks me right in the face and he says, daddy, do you ever get to play with us? Ooh. And it was like, you know, a samurai sword through the heart. And I made the decision right then and there. I'm done. Wow. Yeah, but the right call, clearly. It was. Uh, it's difficult. You know, I enjoyed it. And, I, I mean, still to this day, there's aspects about it that I absolutely miss. But uh, what I don't miss is not getting to see my kids grow up. You know, I did that with my two oldest kids. 
I was really heavily involved in law enforcement and detectives and narcotics, and I missed a lot of games. You know, I missed a lot of holidays, missed a lot of birthdays, and that was sticking in my head, and I just decided I'm not going to do it with these two. Okay. Uh, you go to church here in town? Yeah, I go to Destiny Church. Uh, I've noticed and have heard from other people who know you that it seems like your faith is a pretty big part of your life, that it kind of permeates through uh, everything that you do. Yeah. Um, how long have you gone to Destiny? And or I mean, how, how let me let me back that up a little bit. How long uh, has faith played such a significant role in your life, and why? Uh, probably. Uh, probably since about 2008 or nine. I'm pretty young Christian, uh, you know, it, and I mean, 2008, nine, it wasn't yesterday. Yeah. You can be <laughs> quiet now, <laughs> but my wife, actually, my wife and I, we were looking for somewhere to get married and the place we were going to get married, the, the church sold and we couldn't get married there anymore. And we had some acquaintances, some friends that we met that, uh, found out about the problem and said, well, you should go check out Destiny Church. And at the time, it was just like one door or one area of that shopping center that they're in now. So we went up there, and they let us get married there for next to nothing. Just pay the guy that's running sound, please, and the people who have to clean up. So we got married there. And then after uh, we got married, we obviously went on a short honeymoon. And then when we came back, I told my wife, Kathy, like, you know, we probably ought to go over to the church just, you know, to say thanks for getting married, letting us get married here. So we went over on a Sunday and, uh, man, it was just like hit me in the gut that Sunday. And we've been there pretty well every Sunday since. Okay. Um, and it seems to shape a lot of the ways that you conduct yourself in, in business and in public service. I mean, it seems like it's a big part of your life. Like it kind of oozes out from you. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna preach to you here, but I mean, you can if you want. We're you've, all, got, you've got the mic. Do what, say what you want to say. <laughs> we're all called to be disciples, you know, and we're all called to spread the gospel. And I don't think uh, a true Christian can be a true Christian without doing those two things. Um, if you're ashamed of your Christianity, you're probably not a Christian. Uh, if you're not willing to to put that before all else, you know, that's just the way I look at it. And I'm I am not an extremist in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I'm also not going to hide my faith. I didn't hide it when I was the mayor. I'm not going to hide it now. I, I don't hide it. And, you know, I'm sure there's some people that look at that that have known me in the past and think, oh, I can't believe he's talking about God or about Jesus. And uh, the truth of the matter is that doesn't matter because they don't know me now. And we've all made mistakes. We're all going to continue to make mistakes, and I am absolutely not immune from that. Uh, I've made more than my fair share. But we can be... You know, we can be new from that and we can uh, try to lead the best life we can from from there. And my job, if one thing that, you know, I post on Facebook helps somebody that's thinking about hurting herself or that just thinks nobody cares about them anymore, nobody loves them. That's, again, community. And that's what this is. That's what Republic is. And a lot of the people on my Facebook page are from Republic. So if I'm you know, sometimes those relate, the things I post on Facebook relate to me and how I'm feeling or how I've felt in the past and how I've gotten through it. And, uh, that's, that's why I do it. I just, you know, you want to try to help other people. Your job is to be a disciple, as you know, and your job is to spread the gospel. Great. Okay. What, uh, 
What do you do for fun? What's your hobby? Like just a a you thing. I like playing golf. Okay. Yeah, I enjoy going to uh, Backwoods Golf. I love the the True Shot or Shot Tracer technology or whatever they have. Uh, not exactly like Top Top Golf, but I think Big Shots in Springfield. I haven't been there yet. I think it's the similar. But I love that we have uh, Backwoods Golf right down the yeah, road. Yeah, it's cool. So I love playing golf. Um, one of my other hobbies is I just love going to the lake. I like fishing. And I like just after a life of really kind of being road hard, I just like relaxing with my kids and I like watching them play. I like watching them play basketball. I like playing with them, uh, just being with my family because I missed so much of that in my early life that I love it. There's a, a lot of people that I feel like learn that lesson way too late in life or never learn that lesson. And life is just kind of all about the grind and it's, you know, like, uh, like you can never do enough or be enough. And sometimes you end up sacrificing your family on the altar of your ambitions and it's kind of sad. And so it's encouraging to hear that, you know, I, I love it when people say what things like what you just said and just being a part of their family and saying that, you know, recreation, just enjoying the simple pleasures of life and, uh, what do they call hitting the links? Is that golf lingo? Is yeah, that right? Yeah. Something like that. We'll take it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I okay, yeah, that uh is is just hey, this is my simple pleasure and and it's okay. I'm going to allow myself to do that. You don't have to grind every day of your life. So Yeah. Well, and you know, it I have ambition, but what I found is honestly for me, it's the the less you try. I mean, the more you're just yourself and you put forth the work, if you try as hard at fulfilling the title that you have now, you're more likely to get the one that you want. Yeah, sure. Because there are so many folks in the world that don't fulfill the title that they currently have. They're too worried about who has the title above them and how do they get it. But if you, I think if you just work hard in what you're doing and really try to be the best you can at what that is, then you're just going to set yourself up for success in the future. I've not always done that. I've not always felt that way. I've been that other person. But we learn, you know, through mistakes and through heartache and, you know, uh, that's that's how we gain our faith. You know, all true faith is born out of anguish. That's great advice. So just doing what you can to fulfill the, the life that you're living right now. I have two questions. These are hard questions. Uh, the first one is this. So we have a mutual friend, uh, Eric Schroeder. He's a SPD sergeant, a public native. And, oh, in the late 90s, uh, he got a job at Silver Dollar City as a ride attendant. And I guess young Eric had some very strong opinions about how things should go at Silver Dollar City and voiced those concerns while he was a young trainee. Uh, he also seemed to be very displeased with uh, wearing a long sleeve shirt and pants in uh, over 100 degree weather during the Ozarks summers and quit before his training was over and uh, is technically not eligible for rehire. Uh, 24 years later, if Eric Schroeder were to apply, Sergeant Eric Schroeder were to apply for a security position at Silver Dollar City, could you pull some strings and get him an interview if he wanted one? <laughs> well, Probably get him an interview, but we're probably going to keep that not eligible for rehire. All right. No, Sorry, no, no, Eric. No, 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 Eric, no. I tried. Bud. I'm kidding. I tried. 
No, Eric's a great guy. Uh, I, I'm like that's just what I said. We all make our mistakes in the past, right? And I think Eric would admit that that was one of his mistakes, and not necessarily. But you know, there's a process for that. So I think we could we could look at Eric if he if he was really looking. Okay, for a if job. He, and I'll tell him if he's he's going to listen to this. And so when that time comes, if that time comes, Eric. Uh, let me know and I'll talk to Jeff. <laughs> just, he just ha- would have to promise that he's not going to do that again. Right. And then my second tough question is what is your favorite restaurant in Republic? Oh man, you're going to get me killed with everyone else. D- hey, just because you have a favorite doesn't mean that you don't have 15 other close second places that you also love and cherish. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a multifaceted answer. Oh, here we go. It has to be. Well, you I'm just, sorry. I, I, you're not the mayor anymore, Jeff. I know. You don't. You can just. I do. I well because <laughs> I like different things. I don't know answer. that I have just like a favorite. All right. I love the breakfast at PKD. I think it's great. Oh yeah. But I also love the breakfast at Genie's, and I've known Genie's since I was a little kid. So do you see the kind of position you're putting me sure. in here? That's why I said it was a tough question. Um, I like Hetty. I do like Hetty. I like Retmo Burger Company. I could probably name off every place in town. Um, if it's coffee, I'm probably going to be at Black Lab, no case, and uh, those folks have, and love them. Um, so you can't ask the the true son of Republic what the only place he would pick out of all of them. Because you are the true son of Republic is why I asked him. <laughs> well, I think that's that's the answer I've got for okay, you. Okay, fair enough. All right, Jeff, uh, anything else that you want to say uh, to our audience before we conclude here? I really would just encourage anyone in the community who has a heart for this community to serve, to get into city government. Uh, I know it's, it's not fun to watch meetings. It's really, honestly, not fun to be at meetings. But it's that's, work. It's the last line of defense from overreach of the government is city government, your local government. So I would ask folks to consider getting involved in that, and if not, there are any number of charitable or charitable organizations in this city that have boards and need volunteers. So just help us keep Republic what it is and serve your community. Yeah. The pregnancy care center and people helping people. Uh, there's a number of, uh, you're right. There's a number of nonprofits here that are doing a lot of really good work and they all need hands and feet. Yep. And we all love this city. I love it. And I'm still here. All right. Jeff Ussery. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. When I first started this show, you were one of the names on my short list. Like you said, the kind of, uh, how did you phrase it? The original son of Republic or just no, the, a true son of a Republic. true son of Republic. That's right. Uh, you were on my, on my short list to, to come on the show. So really appreciate you coming on. This has been another episode of Repmo radio where we talk to people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we all love, Republic, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in this week, and I hope you will join us again for the next episode. Have a blessed week.